Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to our continuing segment on the good news in Harry Potter. I'm Pastor Eric. And I'm Kelsey. And here we're looking at Chapter 5 of Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Diagon Alley. Kelsey, um, what were some of your favorite parts about this chapter? I mean, I think we're just continuing to see this whole wizarding world open up to Harry. Um, right at the get-go, they have to travel through the muggle world to get there, which I think is really interesting. Um, and Harry even commentates that he can tell Hagrid knows where he's going, but he clearly doesn't normally get there like this. Um, I think we're really, we see that very literal shift from the world that Harry has known to this new wizarding world. Yeah, and as they're starting to get there, one of the things that I thought was really interesting is as we're gonna, as we get deeper into the chapter, we see Harry's uh, amazement at the world around him. But we, on our way here, we have Hagrid looking at uh, uh, everything that's around him, and saying, "Whoa, Harry! These things, these Muggles dream up, isn't it crazy?" Mm -hmm. You know, in, in disbelief as well, almost mirroring Harry's, which I thought was a particularly interesting aspect. Definitely, and I, I like that there is that very visual symbolism of a wall opening up for Harry to get to Diagon Alley. I think it really shows this whole entire opening of Harry's mind and all the possibilities. And then at one point it says he wished he had eight eyes to be able to take everything in. Yeah, we're very clearly here moving into that back alley and into a completely different world. And I think this is the big transition point in the book where we're going to leave the muggle world behind for the most part and dive deeper and deeper into this magical world that Harry Potter is just getting a glimpse of. Mm -hmm. And this chapter was absolutely huge, uh, 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 reflecting the, the, the wideness of this whole world. Um, you have banks and goblins and dragons and uh, 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 wands and cauldrons, pretty much anything you can think of. It just assaults all your senses. Yeah, and I think that you see Harry have a little bit of disbelief, which is completely understandable. It, you know, at one point he says, if the Dursleys had a sense of humor, he would think this was one big joke. And then when Hagrid tells him that there's a bank guarded by goblins and dragons, he just... He can't even believe that. And um, as they're traveling through the bank, he's trying to watch everything that's going by and his head's on a swivel because he just can't even take all this in. Yeah, we we really see, like, that, that was one of the things that I, I thought was very interesting because, you know, we've seen... Uh, Hagrid self-row a boat and, you know, uh, start a fire and pull out all these things and there's been owls that are delivering posts, but yet still, Harry Potter thinks maybe, maybe this all still isn't real. Like, there's a chance. Mm -hmm. And I think that's kind of reflective of his upbringing. You know, we'll see throughout this chapter that there's a hesitancy in believing that he has a spot here. Um, and so as he as he 
confronts this giant world, he thinks maybe it's not real, and then transitions to maybe I don't belong. Yeah, I think you see that at the end, is when he's gone through all of Diagon Alley, bought all of his school supplies, that he can no longer have this thought of maybe that's not real. He says to Hagrid, you know, I don't, I don't know if I can do this. Everybody already expects great things of me, and I, I don't know anything. Yeah, and, you know, as this world opens up um, and it gets quite larger, we start to see that it's all not sunshine and roses. There's complex characters in this Rosian world. Um, there's, we, we, we meet a fellow student, the first other uh, wizarding boy we meet, and he doesn't taste right in our mouth. He, he, uh, Harry says he reminds him of Dudley, and it's showing us that even in this magical place where you can conjure things up in the air and you can fly and uh, there's so much whimsy in it all that there's this lurking malevolence. Mm -hmm. And that even, you know, you go to Gringotts and there's the joy that Harry has more abundance than he's ever had in his life. His parents left him this money so that he can go to school. It's, it's a joyous occasion, but it's also a little bit tainted with the darkness of first the warning about thieves, thieves as you go into Gringotts, and then um, Grip Hook explains that if you tried to get into this vault, you'd be stuck in it, and oh, we only check the vaults every 10 years. That um, it still kind of has that hint at darkness. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's uh, lurking behind every corner. There might be one of these hags or vampires that Professor Quirrell is so afraid of. You know, there's it's almost as this opens up, there's an invitation for more danger that uh, uh, the danger Harry used to know is comfortable. It's nice. And it's moving into something else uh, entirely. Um, and then I also think it's interesting that Harry doesn't feel comfortable or even know if he likes Ollivander. This thing that he's been looking forward to most is getting his magic wand. And then he gets into the shop and, you know, it's still exciting, it's interesting, but Ollivander makes him feel uneasy. And I think it's that that sense of lurking, of danger, of, you know, Ollivander seems to be very knowledgeable. He remembers every wand that he ever sold. He sees Harry Potter, and he doesn't wait for Harry to introduce himself. He says, you know, Harry, I've been waiting for you. And then he finds the right wand for Harry. It's almost like he knows something about Harry that Harry doesn't know about himself. And I think that that puts Harry at a little bit of unease as well. And it's almost like those pale gray eyes of Ollivander is reflecting the grayness of this world, you know, expecting that Harry could do great things just like he who must not be named did great things, bad things, but great, oh, great. things. Mm -hmm. And so now Harry is feeling wrapped up in that potential as well. Is he going to do good things? Is he going to do okay things? Or is he going to do great things that could be terrible? So as we were reading this, I was particularly drawn to this Malfoy character that we meet. Um, he's 
the description we get from him is a pointy nose. He seems to be a little smug. Um, uh, and he represents almost, uh, is replacing the Dursleys right now as, as something that's not so nice in this book, as, as representing something that's a little off-putting, even in a more so way than uh, Ollivander will come off to us. Mm -hmm. He's, he, he talks about uh, being of uh, noble birth, and uh, he seems very entitled, and he looks at Hagrid in the window, and he just looks down on him, you know? Yes, and he, I think it's interesting that as he's talking to Harry, he doesn't really seem so interested in getting to know Harry or learning about Harry. He's just using Harry as somebody to spew his monologue to. Yeah, it's, it's almost like Harry is just a sounding board and he doesn't really care what his answers are. You know, in fact, the, the only time when he seems to garner a reaction is when Harry doesn't fit into his narrative and says, well, I think he's brilliant. And mm -hmm. he's like, oh, do you? You know, that's the only indication that we get that he's been paying attention at all. And I think that even though he pays attention in that moment, the fact that everywhere that Harry has gone in the wizarding world before this, people immediately recognize him. They know that that's Harry Potter. And Hagrid even says after the fact that this boy would have grown up knowing Harry's name, he doesn't recognize Harry. He doesn't even realize who he is because he's not paying enough attention to look at Harry and realize who it is that he's speaking to. Yeah, uh, it's. I almost feel like uh, this boy is representing the self-entitled, self-interesting nature that our culture just kind of puts on us. Um, um, you know, we often like our own narrative, view ourselves as this particular way in our own story, and are compelled to, you know, work on ourselves throughout the whole thing. Um, uh, these ancillary characters that uh, come into our lives, you know, we're still the most important person in it. We're still number one. Um, we are spoiled in that way. And when those people come in and present something that challenges what our own idea or narrative is, we struggle with that. Just as when Harry says, you know, no, I like Hagrid. I think he's brilliant. Malfoy really is in disbelief and kind of it's the first time that he doesn't know what to say. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it, it's interesting that uh, he doesn't like Hagrid. Hagrid is the only character that we've gotten to know very well in the Wizarding World until this interaction with this boy, for the most part. Um, and, you know, Hagrid's been nothing but a shepherd to Harry. You know, Harry is this young, naive, doesn't know his muggle from a Quidditch um, bumpkin, and Hagrid's taken him under his wing and is the one that's opening up this whole world to him. And not only is he opening up this whole world to him, he's helping him navigate through it very literally, but also, you know, we're seeing all these pieces of darkness lurking around the corner, but with each of those turns, Hagrid's there keeping Harry safe and 
helping explain, you know, here's the darkness, but also here is the light. So he, Hagrid's almost modeling this, this, even though Malfoy won't like this word, this servant leadership style that Christ compels us all to be and act as. You know, um, we're told that we're supposed to look out for the, the least, the lost, and the lowly. And by doing that, we often come off as a servant to others, guiding, helping, lifting up, um, generally not coming off as powerful, but coming off as loving. And we see that this character absolutely just resents that kind of notion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, his values are not in serving others, but serving yourself. And so you really see that Hagrid's whole way of living and being with Hagrid or being with Harry, you know, he wants to buy him a birthday present, he wants to buy him lunch before he gets on the train. He just is there to serve Harry. That's just something that Malfoy can't even fathom or relate to. His one goal this day is to give Harry a special birthday. Mm-hmm. Something he's never had before. And it's honestly it's a beautiful thing. Absolutely. Well, thank you for joining us. Uh, let us know what you think. Is uh, Where do you see the gospel in this? Uh, let us know on our uh, Google Classroom, and uh, we'll see you all next week. Bye.